They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com? What is up? It's been a minute, but we're back at it. The one and only Brotherly Love Podcast with John Mita. I am Joe O'Donnell on SoundCloud.com and iTunes in the house. Johnny Mita, what's up, dude? Yeah, no complaints here, man. No complaints here. We have missed a lot, you and I, yeah. uh, as far as our, our avid fan base, the rabid listeners on the BL Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at BLovePodcast. Um, yeah, dude, it's been a minute. Uh, when we were, I think, last on, we were getting set for the NCAA tourney and the Big East tourney, actually, so it's probably been about three weeks. Uh, now, since then, a national champion has been crowned. Uh, right after our last podcast, the Eagles made some hay free agency-wise, and um, and that's certainly nothing has changed there. They've made more moves since the initial signings. The Flyers have been eliminated for playoff contention. The Phillies have broken out of spring training and into the regular season of the long grind that is the Major League Baseball campaign. And the Sixers are the Sixers. But uh, we'll get into a number of topics here on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate all the love and support. SoundCloud.com. And, of course, on iTunes as well. And uh, really, you know, a lot to get to. So we're going to try and rapid fire through this thing. We'll talk a little NCAA hoops. We will talk as well about the kind of conundrum that the NBA is running into right now with resting some star players. And uh, we'll talk a little Phils and and some Eagles as well. We'll start with the Burrs, Johnny Mita, because the free agent season was just getting underway our last podcast the dust has settled a bit, and the birds have made some moves. They've made a bunch of trades, free agency, etc. And I guess let's go through what you think are the top three moves impact-wise for the Philadelphia Eagles so far this offseason. All right, before I dive into these Eagles yeah. moves, I just want to give a big shout-out to one of our avid listeners, Jeff Ozick. He got engaged about a week ago to his longtime girlfriend, Maria Novo. He's an avid listener, so big shout out to him. Congratulations to you both, and uh, wish you nothing but health and happiness moving forward. Holla. So let's talk. Let's talk Eagles. Uh, you know, you want to rank these for me. If I'm ranking these moves, uh, first and foremost, got to start with the the addressing of the wide receiver position. They were able to land Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, two guys that they were talked about targeting in trades last year, and they were able to get them both on two one year deal flyers. And this finally gives Carson Wentz some legitimate NFL receivers to throw the ball to. So for me, that's the, the, the first move. All right, well, which one's that's more one. impactful, Jeffrey or Smith? Don't lump them yeah. together. Don't take the easy way out. No, no you got to lump their package deal. They signed on the same day. What do you mean, don't lump them Don't together? lump them together. Which one, who's going to have the bigger impact? I'm going to tell you right now, they're both not going to work out. Oh, God. I don't believe that for one minute. I think it's, it's, I think it's going to be good. I don't know. But if I were to take my pick, Jeffrey, just because he's got a little more in the tank. But Torrey Smith, new situation, this is all about rejuvenation. And the bottom line, the biggest thing that that I'm excited about 
is both these players want to come play with Carson Wentz. And when you have two veteran wide receivers that come out and say, you know what, we want to play with this kid because we can believe in him, and they've never played with him, that, that says a lot to me. So, for me, that's the number one move. The number two move is, is the signing of Chance Wormack. You know, kind of another under-the-radar move, but this guy is a starting guard in the National Football League. We all know that Brandon Brooks kind of struggled with some of his issues. Is You know, sometimes he, he had some anxiety and he dealt with some mental issues. So, and this guy's going to become a starter. He reunites with his offensive line coach from the University of Alabama, Jeff Stoutlin. I think that's a huge move. Another good move to protect your franchise quarterback moving forward. Love that move. And then the third one is, let's face it, the Eagles have 27 holes to fill. Um, this is a rebuild. This is not going to happen overnight. But one of their biggest weaknesses last year was the fact that they couldn't get to the quarterback. They needed another defensive end, and they were able to pick up Chris Long. And I like this signing. I know he's 31 years old, but this guy is a 4-3 defensive end. He played for the New England Patriots. He was kind of out of scheme. He's not a 3-4 outside linebacker. That's not who he is. And he's another guy that just wanted to come to Philadelphia and play football. So I'm very excited about all these moves. And I think Howie's done a good job, you know, giving himself some flexibility, not getting tied into some long-term contract where these are, you know, prove it. Or these are all prove me deals. If you want to move forward with this, with this football team, show me what you have this year, and then we'll talk in the offseason about extending these guys. So those are the top three moves that I have. What are your thoughts? Well, I agree with you uh, from the standpoint that the contracts are short, which gets you out of any potential disasters there. And I'm not saying any of, three, uh, any of those signings so far, any of the ones you mentioned, are going to be disasters. But when you're talking about multiple moves, because this team has multiple holes to fill. At times, they were a great football team last year. At times, they were inconsistent. At times, they were about as bad as it gets, or it seemed like that, as far as NFL teams go. And and some of that is just the, the nature of the National Football League. But anytime you're making six or seven moves that are bigger uh, on the scheme of things impact-wise or fanfare-wise, which the Eagles always seem to be in this spot, some of them are going to backfire or some of them aren't going to pan out. It's a numbers game. And the Eagles have always put themselves in the spot where they have these big moves on free agency and then some of them don't pan out. And so I I have a feeling that either Jeffrey or Smith's just not going to work out. I don't know why I feel that way. Maybe that's my Negadelphian, you know, innate nature, but one of those guys probably isn't going to pan out. If that's injury, if that's production, if that's lack of effort, like I just don't see them both. I, I love the upgrades because you couldn't get any worse, but we'll just see what happens. And we'll see also if those guys have an effect, uh, if these signings have an impact on DGB and, uh, and Aguilar as well, because those two guys stink, uh, to be quite frank, and they, and they did for large stretches of last year. All right, for me, I'm going to go in this order. I'm going to go the number three move as far as impact, is one you left off the table, March 14th. St. Nick coming back, baby. The Church of Foles. Nicky Foles, two-year contract. Get him in the helm. I love it. Love every single part of this move, John Mita. was it, 27 TDs, two picks in his glory weeks with the birds that one year. People were putting him in the Hall of Fame, and then he fell off the face of the football earth. Nick Foles back in the saddle, and Chase Daniel beat it. Get out of town. I love that move. <laughs> That's it? That's it? You got nothing for me? Oh, I mean, uh, listen, I like the move, too. I mean, the guy that's familiar with the system, I mean. 
I think you and I, I think you and I saw Chase Daniel, uh, his only completed pass that Thursday night game late in the year. <laughs> You're probably exactly. But look, Carson Wentz yeah. was was knock on wood very durable for taking all the hits he took in year one. You know, he had the the training camp or the preseason injury, excuse me, and then after that, he played almost every snap. That is not the reality of the NFL. So if Nick Foles is an upgrade over Chase Daniel, you brought Daniel in for one thing that was help teach Poopy Peterson's system to the young ginger general. Mission accomplished. Chase Daniel, hardly knew ye. Get out of town. Nick Foles back in the fold. We'll see if it comes to fruition as far as that being a backup upgrade down the line should the Eagles need him. My thoughts are at some point Nick Foles is going to play this year because that's how the NFL works. All right, next, you got to go wide receiver. I'm going Alshon Jeffrey. I love the size, the red zone threat. Again, short deal. He's got something to prove, you would hope. Hopefully he stays on the field, that suspension at the end of this past year. You know, obviously a little bit of a black eye for him. Can he get it going? I think Torrey Smith has probably a bigger chip on his shoulder from all the questions he was asked in the press conference about losing a step. But I think Alshon Jeffrey, I'm going to agree with you, is the bigger impact there at the wide receiver position. And the number one move for the Eagles this offseason has yet to come. It's coming on draft day because Howie Roseman is going to be pulling the rabbit out of a hat and he's going to come up with a draft day trade because the draft's in Philadelphia, and that's what Howie Roseman does. If there's a GM in the league that you want to roll the dice, to you know, use your cliche as far as throwing all the chips on the table, it's Howie Roseman. I don't know what the move's going to be. Is it a trade for Richard Sherman? Is it a moving up in the draft? Is it drafting you know, the, the blockbuster-type player in the first round, the one that gets the crowd buzzing? Howie Roseman's going to pull something off on draft day, and I think it's going to be a trade that's going to get that city and that draft absolutely buzzing, and it's going to make the Eagles the talk of the draft. There's not a shot in hell that draft's in Philadelphia, and the Eagles just roll through their seven picks, no big deal, ho-hum. It's just not going to happen. It's not Howie's M.O. That's not what he's about. He wants to always be the guy that's talked about. He's going to pull off a move on draft day. Mark my words. And that, my friends is my take on the Eagles offseason so far. I like I like the prediction, man. I like it a lot. Can he get it done for Richard Sherman? And would you explore it if you're the Eagles? It's just so much money, dude. $14 million. I mean, we, we just... And we're going to have to cut half the team to come <laughs> under the cap. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And my whole thing is, if you're... If, my whole thing is, if you are in the you know so-called rebuild, yeah. why not draft some young corners and... You know, and grow with them, just like Andy Reid did when he drafted Lito and Sheldon Brown. Great point. So that would be the that would be the route I go. I'm not saying, listen, Richard Sherman, hell of a player. I like him a lot. I think he is, you know, one of the best scorers. Obviously, you know, kind of has that moxie, that you know, that intimidating factor on defense that this defense hasn't seen since like Brian Dawkins. Just that that moxie, so to speak. And I would love to have that on the football team, but. I just, I don't know. That'd be some Houdini. That would be some Harry Houdini stuff if Howie were to pull that off. Jason Kelsey makes $5 million. Michael Kendricks makes $6 million. There's 11 if you're right. able to move those two in a draft pick to Seattle for Richard yeah. Sherman. And I'm not saying I Seattle see. has any interest in those two players, but they're two guys well, the Eagles have talked need, about moving. Can, well, I mean, they do need offensive line help, that's for sure. Michael Kendricks can rot on their bench with their great defense. Rots on our bench now. Um, All right, question from a listener, John Meadham. 
Email the show, brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. Right, here we go. Brotherlylovepodcast at yahoo.com. This comes from my boy Screech. Will Doug Peterson, will Doug Peterson get fired if next season the Eagles lose eight games? And then he's got a follow-up question. Will Howie Roseman finally be held accountable and be fired as well if Peterson loses his job? Or Peterson be the fall guy uh, and, and that's enough for Howie to keep his job. I feel like the dream team happened a decade ago and this guy is still in charge. That's from Screech. Your thoughts, John Mita? I think it's so early. If it turns out that Doug is so inadequate and he just makes boneheaded decisions like he did throughout the year that we saw a couple <laughs> games, yeah. Cowboys game, and if he is costing you games, then there's definitely a possibility. And I, there's something... You know, that we haven't really discussed. Well, we kind of talked about one podcast is that, you know, the Eagles didn't want John DeFlippo to interview anywhere else. Right. So is he is he the coach in rating? I mean, I don't know. I think I, I think Howie will be held accountable, but I don't know about next year. If they go eight and eight, you know, I just I mean, I don't think anybody's expecting them to make the playoffs next year unless don't get me wrong. Stranger things have happened. Some teams have... Don't start. Please don't season. start with this already. Okay? Usually yeah, I'm the guy bringing us back down to earth. What the yeah. hell are they doing if they're not expected to make the playoffs? What are they doing? How long is this well, going to take? Well, Rome wasn't built overnight, brother. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Let's all keep right. it moving on the Three Brotherly Love Podcast. Um... The North Carolina Tar Heels are the national champions. Quickly. I I know. It pains you. Recap Villanova season. Their loss to Wisconsin. And what you saw from the Tar Heels and Gonzaga uh, in the championship game just a couple of nights back. You got it. Uh, First, Villanova. Once the tournament came out, I saw the possibility of a second-round matchup with, with Wisconsin. Thought it was a terrible matchup for the Wildcats. Of all the eight seeds to play, they could have played Northwestern. They could have played a, a Michigan State. Uh, so many other teams. And to get matched up with Wisconsin, who over the years has been a great tournament team, has made some long runs. They have surefire, probably two NBA players on their team, if not three. I knew it was going to be a bad matchup for the Cats. They shot the ball terrible. Uh, they didn't have their best stuff. Chris Jenkins struggled mightily. Again, didn't shoot the ball well in their first-round game. I was kind of feeling that this could go in Wisconsin's direction. And when it comes down to it, I didn't like I didn't like Jay's coaching in the end when they had a couple opportunities to try to, you know, win it. They put the ball in their best player's hand, Josh Hart, but at the same time, if I'm if I'm going after that, I think I'm gonna put the ball in Jalen Brunson's hands and let him create. Either he takes a shot, he drives around and then kicks out to one of these other guys, but I just didn't like the play calling down the stretch. So they got bit. And they also got bit. It came down to depth. Last night, I rewatched the national championship game, believe it or not. Of course you did. And, <laughs> and the missing, you know, the missing Phil Booth. That guy was unbelievable against Carolina. And missing Phil Booth, and I've said it all year long, and then they didn't have the, the, the freshman available, Marty Spellman. If they had those two guys available, there's no way in hell Wisconsin beat them. There's just no way. You know, they wouldn't get out top. You could see that their size became a problem. Wisconsin was huge. So that was the Achilles heel for the Cats. But, hey, let's take nothing for granted. They had an unbelievable year. 
They won. They went thirty-two and four. Finished, I guess, number eight overall in the whole scheme of things. Once the rankings came out after the tournament, great year for the Cats. It just goes to show they're nothing sweeter than that national championship. But great run for them. As far as let's talk about the national championship yeah. game, North Carolina Gonzaga. Uh, the one thing that bothered me most is that I just felt like the officials took way too much control of the game. They called so many ridiculous fouls. Um, they missed a couple things. And once they called the fifth foul on Zach Collins, Wisconsin's diaper dandy, that freshman, that changed the whole mojo of the game. Then there was another play where Nigel williams Goss gets thrown, basically bullied out of bounds, and he turns his ankle within the last two minutes of the game. It should have been a foul call, which would have put them on the line. I just, I just wanted to see the players duke it out. Now, it was an ugly, horrendous game to watch. I mean, these guys, with the shooting struggles for both teams, their first half, North Carolina shot the ball terribly. Second half, at one point, Gonzaga was 4-20. Again, came down the stretch, and North Carolina was just a stronger team. Um, but if, that, if those two teams played 10 times, I can't tell you that North Carolina would beat that team 10 times. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it would be even, you know, and it's just North Carolina got the best of them. Kudos. This is what I think is going to happen. Roy Williams won his third national championship. I've said it before. He's got health concerns, you know, with his bad hip. I think he might retire. Yep. I agree. He's off of his sunset. And then next thing you know, the NCAA starts slamming him for all their academic fraud violations that they made three years ago that has not been resolved yet. So I wish people of the NCA were listening to me. You got North Carolina with all their fraud violations. You got a, a, another college, Louisville, recruited people with hookers, prostitutes, and nothing's been done to either one of these. Now, I know these are powerhouse programs, but, you know. That's how you send a message, though, something. isn't it? Absolutely. You have to do something. You just can't let them get away with it. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my take on that. All right. I missed the game, John Mita, because uh, I caught bits and pieces of it. I missed the game because I was checking out Green Day, dude, live and in concert here in Des Money's. Green Day? That's right, you dude. kidding me. No, it was sick. Wow. And uh, obviously, growing up on Dookie, for the most part, one of the first CDs I ever owned, they played Welcome to Paradise, When I Come Around, She... Uh, burnout. I mean, it was like probably five or six Dookie jams that I was pumped about. <laughs> so yeah, Green Day was awesome. They rocked it for like two, two and a half hours almost. Uh, yeah, really cool. Now, here's the thing I was disappointed in. I always thought Green Day was a three-man band. They're not anymore. They now have five members in their band. And they mentioned at one point like, oh, this guy's been around. You know, it's like it was Billy Joe, their bassist and their drummer, I thought forever. And he was like, this guy's been with us since 1991. So he like rehashed it like a couple more old school members, but they got some newer members, I guess. Um, so that was like, what? But definitely cool. Put on a great show so I can cross Green Day off the bucket list. There you go. Right on, man. You get some crazy shows out in court. Yeah, man. Daryl and John are coming, dude. Daryl and John are on their way to Wells Fargo <laughs> Arena, and I will be there with bells on. Uh, you you got to get the box for it. In fact, the only there. way I can't, I won't be at that show is if I get arrested before the show for trying to get in their dressing room. There you go. Because I love me some Hall and Oates. All right, Fight and Phils are underway. At least opening day was fun, but they dropped the next two to the Reds. They lose the series in Cincinnati. I don't know what it is yeah. with starting the year in Cincinnati. 
forget you know what you maybe saw on the field, though. I'll tell you what, Jared Eikhoff looked like a beast yesterday on the hill. I saw a headline, Larry Anderson thinks he might be able to win 20 games. Well, he ain't going to win 20 games if they don't score any runs for him. But he certainly looked good. Um, I thought that Hellickson, you know, showed some composure opening day. Like what I saw with some pop there from uh, some of the younger players, at least in, in game one. They just, you know, Brandon Finnegan was dealing yesterday for the Reds. I missed today's game. But the Phils lose the opening series two games to one in Cincinnati. Uh, but I, I want to go off the field for a moment because John Crux in the broadcast booth this year. Now, if there's ever a time for me to start listening to Moobs McCarthy in the Phillies broadcast, it's going to be now because of John Crux. I don't know that Crux will be able to completely transform me into a Phillies broadcast fan because I usually, if the unless the visiting team is brutal or there's a reason really to listen to the Phillies side of things or watch the Phillies side, I should say, watch the Phillies broadcast, I'll usually put it on the visiting team. So for for the most part, the Red Series, I watched the Reds broadcast. That's a violation, by the way. Listen, Moves McCarthy stinks. I can't stand him. And I couldn't deal with Ben Davis. Uh, Stairsy was fine. Ben Davis was an absolute loser. Moves McCarthy (laughs) is such a nerd. G. Murph, nerd. I can't stand him, dude. They're unlistenable at times. Okay? Croc is listenable. I can stand Croc. I thought he was great opening day. The few innings I watched the Phillies side. Now, flip me to the radio end of things. I'll take Fransky in L.A. for days. You give me your best baseball radio crew, Fransky in L.A., boot them to the curb. All right? Those guys are legit. But on the television side, you know this. I can't stand Moobs McCarthy. I can't stand him. He's got Moobs. He's a nerd. And I just, I just, I don't like him. He's too much of a geek for me. I'm sorry. I've met him. Nice guy. He gave me tickets one time, so I can't totally bash him. But the guy's a little, he's a nerd. I'm just not a big fan. But John Crock in the booth, maybe I'll watch more. Your thoughts on Crocker? Love it. Love it. Uh, it was glad to see that, that they they steered him. He left ESPN. And uh, perfect. Because stairs to me, you know, he was dry as sandpaper. Yeah. All right, so. Hopefully he can help the Phillies change their hitting approach. Uh, I'm with you. I'm not really a huge Ben Davis fan. He he seems corny. Um, so yeah, I, I love these. What do you think of T Mac? What do you think of Tom McCarthy? I think he's all right. He calls a lot of stuff, Joe. I'm not saying he's not a talented broadcaster. He prepares yeah. well. Yeah, I know he cares, yeah. but he, he's just a nerd. Yeah. I can't stand yeah, a nerd. Agree. All right, he's I a agree. geek, man. All right, he's not cool enough for you. No, he ain't cool enough. Not in this book. Any thoughts on the Phillies opening series on the field? Well, I mean, let's just talk. You know, with this team, let's just look at this team in general. Like, I do like their starting rotation. I mean, I think it could be solid. Hellickson, you mentioned Eikhoff. Hopefully he doesn't turn to the cold panels of the staff where they get no run support. Um, Today, you know, Buckholz got lit up a little bit. Then you have Velasquez and you have Noah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good that's staff. A legit, that's a decent, legit staff. I kind of forgot about Buckholz. That's who threw today? Yeah. Yeah, good start. Then, yeah, then you have you know, <laughs> then you have a couple major league outfielders. Okay? You have Howie Kendrick and then, what is it, Chris Saunders. And Michael, legit, Michael Saunders, yeah. Michael Saunders, I'm sorry. These are legitimate outfielders. If I asked you who played left field for the Phillies last year and who played right field, uh, who, who would you say? Well, I know Altair was in there for a bit. Gosh, who did they have out there and left for a minute? Blanco played some outfield, I swear. It was bad. 
Was Greg Dobbs on the team last year? Ah, <laughs> uh, Dobbs. The Greg Dobbs report? That no. guy's a loser. But, you know, funny thing, from opening day, when they announced Duval Herrera's name, the Cincinnati PA broadcaster called him Edible Herrera. Edible Herrera, which was hilarious. Oh, my God. Anyway, so now they have major league outfielders. And the good thing is their farm system's loaded. Yes. So they could bring up some of these guys, maybe – you know, they make the club, they come up later, but I think this team can legitimately, the over-under in Vegas, I think the number was like 67 or 69. I definitely think they'll at least win 75 games. I hear you. I think they're closer to an 80-win team than they have been yeah. the last couple of years. All right, let's jump Absolutely. to the uh, the NBA. This has been a yep. big topic, resting star players. I know you've got a take on it, um, but I, I want to start here. I don't know why this, you know, lately has become such a big deal. I know there's been scuttlebutt about it, angry fans. When anytime it rolls through a city where, you know, Team X is playing Team Y, and it's all of a sudden Durant sitting, the Spurs are sitting three guys, the Cavs are sitting their top guys. There's only we're only talking about a select few teams here. All right, we're not talking about the Nets coming in the Philly, and the and the Brooklyn Nets sit, you know. Their center and the world's up in arms. We're talking about basically maybe ten players in the game, three or four teams, and their top players. Uh, the Spurs made this kind of posh a couple years ago because Popovich just said, "F the NBA." You know, we got a four-game lead for the conference. I want to rest my older players. Now you're seeing teams do it with guys that aren't ancient. Let's be honest. But there's nothing the NBA can do about this. There's nothing. You can't refund money. You can't tell guys, uh, GMs, coaches, owners what to do. That's not the way this world works. So unfortunately, you know, fans in Denver, fans in Minnesota, fans in Philly, fans in New Orleans, when a top team comes to town, if they decide not to play their best players, guess what? Too bad. Too freaking bad. Cry over your spilled milk somewhere else. There's nothing the NBA can do about it. There's nothing the NBA should do about it. And all this whining is embarrassing. You're going to watch your team play. I heard somebody else make this argument, and I'm 100% on board with it. You're going to make, you're, you're watching your team play. Why, why do you care if the other team's playing their star players? Right? And I heard the analogy of the NFL. If the Eagles are getting ready to play the Lions, uh, you know, two years ago in Philly, and Calvin Johnson is out, guess who's not upset Calvin Johnson's out? Any of the 70,000 fans wearing green. Right? You want to win the game. Your team has the best chance to win when the other team's star players aren't in the lineup. So this is what the problem with the NBA is. It's all about superstar power. You know, you got a 12-win team like, I don't know, pick your crappy NBA team. When the Cavs roll to town, the only reason the fans are showing up, not to hope their team wins, but to watch LeBron for a night. To watch Durant for a night. Westbrook for a night. That's not what sports is about. Who cares who the other team's playing? Or bring it out to the table. Obviously, it's nice to check somebody off your bucket list, so to speak. Right? You want to see the greats before they retire. In the NHL, you wanted to watch Gretzky play, Lemieux play. Now it's McDavid. It's must-see TV. I get it. But at the end of the day, you want your team to win. That's what being a fan is all about. Not seeing LeBron play. If you're bringing your kids because they want to see LeBron play, or Kyrie Irving play, or Tim Duncan play in his heyday, guess what? That's great. But at the end of the day, did your team win or lose? That's why you're a fan. 
That's why you're a fan. NBA can't do anything about this, shouldn't do anything about this. Stop bitching and moaning about it. It's a reality. It's posh in the NBA right now. It's the trendy thing to do. Sitting guys. NBA players are soft. What do you want? Move on. Well, I mean, I I will give you this, Joe. I agree that there's nothing that the NBA can do, but you can't tell me it sucks, okay? For example, the LA Clippers game when they were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, okay? The Cleveland Cavaliers are in the Eastern Conference. So when the schedule comes out, if I'm a huge Cleveland Cavalier and LeBron James fan, and I'm like, oh my God, they're coming to town on, you know, April 28th or whatever. And then I buy the ticket, you know, months, months in advance so that I can see my favorite player. And then you come to find out a day before that day, they announced that he's not playing. That sucks. What if he tweaked his ankle? What if he gets the flu? That's all you need to say. I think it's actually better for them to lie about it. Be like, yeah, he's got a hamstring injury. He's going to sit out. He's day to day. As opposed to just saying, we're going to rest our players. Okay, you want to rest them, your players. Start kicking the crap out of somebody, okay? Like the Golden State Warriors do. Where they don't even have to play their starters in the fourth quarter. Touche. You didn't see this years ago. You didn't see, you didn't see this years ago. No, it's Greg Popovich's fault. Well, I agree. And I'm a huge, obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of the Spurs. Like, always been a fan. Greg, but yeah, and it, it's awful. It's, it's just, you are cheating your fan base out of a good product. And it, it's, it sucks. And my whole thing is, if the NBA takes any, maybe they shorten this season by eight games. As opposed to or shorting the pre. That's fine. That is one. That is one thing the NBA could do. I'll give you credit for that. But the revenue lost. The you know all those things that go with it. There's no way the owners are signing off on that. Because again, they don't care who plays. They just care their teams competing at the end for the championship. They don't care about the fans. I know, but that's who suffers in this. And and, you know, as we are avid sports fans, brother, like that would suck. Like if I pay this money to go see somebody, and it turns out they're like. It's like when I saw the Wu-Tang Clan. And ODB wasn't there? In Camden. And ODB was too fired up to even get on stage, man. It was brutal. (laughs) That is the best analogy you may have ever made on 85 episodes of the Brotherly Love Podcast. I I absolutely love it. You are awarded two points and you you claim the belt. I have now changed my stance. I have now changed my stance completely. Oh, that's great. I love it. All right, uh, Stanley Cup playoffs start next week. Um, Just, you know, off the top of your dome here, who do you like to take home Lord Stanley Cup, Lord Stanley's Cup? What's the matchup in the Stanley Cup final come June? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, here's that. I feel like Chris Berman on this one. When he would put, like, the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, Swami, every year. So I'm going to keep on going back to it. Here's my matchup. The Washington Capitals versus the Chicago Blackhawks. I've been saying this for the last five years, three years on this podcast. That's who I'm going with. I like them to meet. At some point, the Washington Capitals yeah. have to get no, to I the agree. Cup Finals. I agree. I mean, it's just they made a deal for Shattenkirk. The team is loaded. They have great goaltending, good coaching. I think it's their time. Chicago, they're so experienced. They have the firepower. So that's who I like. Well, who wins it then? Great question. Chicago can't win another cup. It would be sickening. It would be maybe the great. They would be up there with the Patriots as far as dynasties go. So, Good point. I think Ovechkin finally hoists 
the Stanley Cup. All right. You heard it here first on the Brotherly Love podcast from John Mead at Caps over the Blackhawks. I think the Caps also have a good chance this year. Um, again, will they run into the kryptonite that is the Penguins? Maybe. Uh, does Montreal have enough depth offensively? I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. The East, I don't really think it's that wide. I don't think Columbus... Look, Bobrovsky's legit in net, but I don't know that Columbus has enough experience. I haven't scoured their roster. They've had a great year with 106 points. It's hard to take anything away from them. But, uh, you know, they, they've also kind of struggled down the stretch, 3-5-2. and two. Maybe they're just hitting that lack of motivation time now that they've got a playoff spot sewn up. So I'll, I will stay with you again. Not scouring through rosters and matchups because we don't know who's playing who yet. But I think that the Caps have to be the favorite coming out as a near back-to-back 120-point seasons. They should certainly be able to get themselves to the conference finals. And then it's anybody's game from there. Now in the West, I mean, it's it's a battle. You know, it's Edmonton. They're probably too young of a team. San Jose got there last year. I don't know they have that magic again. Anaheim Ducks, 101 points. Again, nothing. there's nothing sexy there, nothing jumping off the page at me. I don't think Chicago can get back there again. I really don't. I, I just, man, look, they're playing great hockey again. I just don't see it. I think the St. Louis Blues right now, because of the way they're playing, have as good of a chance as anybody. So if I'm making a prediction right now on the Brotherly Love podcast, I'm going to take Washington in the East, St. Louis in the West, and we'll see what the hell happens from there. That's my take. Man, I like it. Out of the box. I love it. All right, brother. Let's get out of here. Uh, It's been a while. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Sorry it took so long. But uh, we'll try and make it more frequent, especially with hockey season coming to an end. I should have some more time to pull off these sorts of things. Always a pleasure, Johnny Mita. You're the man. Pleasure. 24 days to the draft, baby. Oh, I like it. The draft countdown with John Mita. All right, Brotherly Love Podcast. My thanks to Johnny Mita. I am Joe O'Donnell. Appreciate all the love and support. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.